Again, welcome to Freedom. Not only those of you in the room, but those of you who are tuned in online, we are so glad to have you be a part of worship today. And before we dive into the Word, I do want to say a word about what Brad had mentioned earlier. Today is the beginning point of sign-up for our small group ministry, and we want very much for you to be a part of that. For many of you who have been just playing it safe thus far and not coming to Sunday morning worship, we certainly understand that. But a number of you have voiced that uh, while you're not comfortable quite yet being in a room that's got this many people in it, that you'd be willing to come to a room that is socially distanced and everybody uh, wearing masks that's got maybe 10 or 12 people in it. And so we hope that you'll be a part of small group ministry. So those of you in the room, I'll ask you to use this card as a way to let us know that. If you'd fill that out and drop it in the basket on the way out of the room, we would certainly appreciate that. Uh, Just a quick idea of what this is going to look like for at least a semester, as I told you last Sunday. We're only going to be doing this at the church as soon as we get past the worst of the pandemic we'll go back to our normal routine which is in the homes and including meals and all of that it'll be shorter it'll be at the church Um, the plan is that we'll offer groups on sunday monday tuesday and wednesday night so that's why we're asking you to let us know on there which night of the week works best for you we do have one specialized option for ladies if you prefer to be in a ladies only group you can let us know that on the card Now, if you're hearing this, watching this online, I'm going to ask you to please also go ahead and let us know, even though you don't have a card to fill out. If you will, just uh, you can either Facebook a message in right now just directly to the church, or if you want to email me directly, you can see my email address coming up on the screen. It's just mark at myfreedomchurch.net. Just let us know that you'd like to be a part of a group. Let us know which night or nights are the best for you. And uh, if you want to be a part of a ladies' group, particularly, let us know that. If you need child care, let us know about that as well. This is such a vital part of who and what we are as a church. We really want you to, to get connected. And as Brad said, I certainly hope that you can be a part. Those of you who are new to Freedom, whether you're a part of uh, coming from Graceport or just among the new people who've come in in recent months, I really hope that you can come next Sunday. It'll give you a chance not only to meet a lot of other new people to the church, but you'll meet... Uh, all of the staff of the church and just get an opportunity to really get a feel for who we are and where we're headed. So we look forward to that time with you. Just an encouraging word. Uh, Aren't you glad to see the direction that things are going after we have just, it feels like we've been riding this bucking bronco that is COVID-19 for about six years instead of for six months. But we finally are seeing great progress. I don't know whether you realize this or not, but as of this weekend, we have seen In the last four weeks, we have seen a 77% reduction in Baldwin County of new cases. That is worthy of praising God. That's huge. The state has seen a 46% reduction in that same span of time, and the whole country has seen a 35% reduction in the last four weeks. So this stuff that we are so sick of doing, it's actually bearing fruit. So we're not wearing these things to no avail. The steps that we've taken are having a positive effect. So there's coming a time. It's it's on the horizon when we're going to be able to get back to normal. So thanks for thanks for being patient and, and enduring this, keeping a positive attitude. Now we turn our attention to the Word. We're in the book of Jonah, so you better, better get busy looking. It's not big. It's, uh, it's just a little four-chapter, two-page uh, book in the Old Testament. As I told you last time, if you have a hard time finding it, turn to Matthew and go left about 20 pages and you'll be in Jonah. And we're in a series that will conclude next Sunday, and Brad's going to be wrapping this thing up next Sunday as he'll be preaching from Jonah 4. It's really a a sort of surprising and unusual conclusion to the story, and I don't want you to miss that. look forward to hearing Brad as he wraps this up. But today we're in Jonah chapter 3. We're in this series that is about embracing God's mission for your life. And it's, it's recognition of the fact 
that God has a purpose for every single thing that he creates. Do you ever just pause to consider that there isn't a rock or a plant, a bird, a fish, an animal that exists that God doesn't have a purpose for its existence? Everything that he makes has a purpose, and that applies to you and to me. Now, the purposes that he has for us are quite more significant than rocks and trees. He has a specific plan for how he wants to use you as a part of his unfolding plan in the world. And so in this series, we're we're trying to sort of unpack how we embrace or sometimes get back to God's mission for our lives. Jonah is a great example of this fact because God clearly had a, a calling and a mission for his life, and he ran from that plan. Now, if you weren't here in the first couple of installments of this message, it's very easy to summarize for you what Jonah 1 and 2 have said. What we find from the beginning is God said, go. Jonah said, no. And God said, oh, I don't think so. And the sailor said, overboard you go. And the fish said, can I have some tartar sauce to go with this man, please? Jonah had a call from God on his life to go and preach to some people that he really didn't like. He, he hated them. He, he was, it was an, an ethnic thing. He, he despised anybody that was of this nationality. Didn't want anything to do with them. And so when God said, I want you to travel 550 miles to the east and preach to the city of Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire, the most powerful empire in the world at that time, but it was also a very cruel empire. He said, I don't want any part of that. So he went to the west trying to get 2,500 miles away. God intercepted him and sent a terrible storm that resulted in him being thrown in the ocean. And God had created this ideal, unique, supernatural solution where he would literally have a fish swallow up Jonah and just hold him in a dark place for three days and nights until God fully had his attention and until Jonah's heart had changed and he was willing to finally embrace God's call on his life. And so what we get to today is that point in time where we left off last time is the moment when Jonah has now cried out to God. He's had a heart change. He's no longer trying to rebel against God. He's grateful to God for his love. He's actually grateful that God isn't done with him yet. And so the very last verse in chapter 2, the fish spits Jonah out on dry land. And that's exactly where we pick up the story today. So actually we'll begin with that final verse in chapter 2, Jonah 2.10. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Very important verse here. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Everybody say a second time. Who in the room believes that second chances are a big deal? Who in the room needs a second chance, has ever needed a second chance in life? We all do, don't we? This is a story about second chances here. God says to him, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give you. Does that sound familiar? It should, because this is exactly what happened two chapters ago. God is just repeating the same message. It's a second chance. So Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, there has to be a little satisfaction in in Jonah as he's saying that, because he doesn't like these people and he's preaching destruction on them. And the Ninevites... This is 
We think that the, the fish, the storm, and the fish are the great miracle of, of the story of Jonah. And what we're about to read is the great miracle of this story. It's not the fish. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed. And all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Friends, what we're reading about is one of the, the fastest most profound and sweeping revivals that's ever happened in the history of the world. And it's not just recorded in the book of Jonah. Verse 6, when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne. He took off his royal robes. He covered himself with a sackcloth and he sat down in the dust. All of this in the ancient Near East would be a very clear picture of just sorrow and repentance I'm, I'm grieving because I've been wrong, and, and he's expressing this in every way that he knows how. And this proclamation the king issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and of his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. I believe that by the time we're done today, some of us who have felt like 2020 has just been in such a year of gloom and doom, I believe God's going to give us a fresh perspective in terms of what's going on in the world right now and discover that God is doing something really good and that it's actually, it correlates in many ways with what was happening in Nineveh. It ends up with a tremendous outcome, this wonderful revival. But it begins, the passage that we're looking at today begins with one of the most encouraging lines in all of the Old Testament, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. God is giving Jonah a second chance. He is a God who loves to give second chances, and all of us need second chances in life. Whether it's that plan that you had for your education that got the train just got off the tracks and it didn't go where it was supposed to. You, you flunked out or you bailed out or you just didn't get there and you need a second chance. Or maybe your career has taken a terrible turn and you're going to have to start all over again and you need a second chance. Or maybe it's the most important relationship in your life. It was going to last forever, but it's, it's just turned into a nightmare and you need a second chance. Maybe it's terrible choices that you've made somewhere along the way and your life has landed at a place you never imagined that it could get to and it seems like there's no way out and you need a second chance. The good news this morning is very simple. God, the one true living God, is a God of second chances. He loves to give second chances. In fact, so many of the stories of the Bible are just that. They're stories of God's second chances for us. It's what grace is all about. I mean, think about Jacob. He was a deceiver and a schemer from the time he took his first breath. Lying and, and manipulating, stealing from his brother, deceiving his father. And he desperately needed a second chance when he has to run for his life. Boy, did God ever give him a second chance. Think about Moses. With his own bare hands... He killed a man in anger and then had to run away and live as a political exile for 40 years. But boy, did God ever give him a second chance. 
Think about Rahab. Think about the life that she lived. The number of men that she had been with. The, the things that we would never want to even have to discuss or consider about her life. And wow, God had a plan for her life. Not only that she would wind up being great-grandmother to King David, but that she'd be the great-great-great-great-great-grandmother of Jesus. Nothing but a story of a second chance. Peter, Jesus' closest friend. My goodness, I don't know how many chances Peter got. It seems like every time in the Gospels, Peter opens his mouth. He's tripping over his own mouth. And when... He's put on the spot in the most critical moment. Peter swears again and again, I don't know the man. And yet Jesus has already let him know before he can blow it again, I'm going to give you a second chance. For some of us, this is one of the most difficult concepts to really accept and believe, is that no matter what you've been through, no matter what you've chosen or done, that God actually takes joy and pleasure in giving you a second chance, a third chance. Because it's His nature. He's a God of grace. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen is a wonderful reminder of, of this to us, that God loves to show us grace and give us second chances. It says, a man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. Why is that? Because God opposes the proud. As long as we're bent on doing it our way, there's no grace for us. But if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets what? He gets another chance because God loves to give second chances. Lamentations three twenty two and 23 is one of the best passages that you'll hear today. Why don't we do this one together? I'm going to say a part of this verse, and I want you to shout it back at me, and we'll just we'll walk through this. The Lord's love never ends. His mercies never stop. They are new every morning. Let's do it again. The Lord's love never ends. His mercies never stop. They are new every morning. Can somebody say amen? Is that good news? The devil has been whispering in some of our ears and he's been lying and he has been saying, God is fed up with you. He is done with you. He is sick of you. He isn't listening to your prayers because you have screwed up so many times. And I don't want to tell you the truth to speak back to that. The Lord's love and mercy never end. It's new every morning. You know. You may have awakened this morning and felt like, oh, it's gloom and doom. Look at the clouds. It's the first outer band of the double storm. It's 2020. It is just the year of God's judgment. I want to tell you, today is the day of God's mercy. Don't wake up and think, oh, goodness, what's coming next is 2020. The devil's on the loose. What are we going to do? The devil is on the loose, but Jesus is on the throne. And when Jesus is on the throne, we don't live in fear of the devil. We don't live in fear of our past because the fact that you woke up this morning means that God is saying, I've got fresh mercy for you. I've got another chance for you. There is hope for you. I have a plan. There is grace ready to be poured out on you today. So bring on the storms because no matter how stormy it may get, there is more grace for me than there is trouble. That's good news. The Lord's love never ends. His mercies never stop. Every day is another chance from God. So what do you do 
when God gives you another chance. When life has gotten sideways, you've gotten to a bad place, and God comes along and surprises you with another chance. What do you do with that? Well, that's what I want us to take away from the third chapter of Jonah. If you'll follow along with me in your outlines, there are five things that I want you to notice about the story of God working through Jonah that we can learn about what to do when God gives us another chance. And the first one is so straightforward. Live each day with a deep sense of gratitude. And in fact, let's just go ahead and say start every day by expressing a deep sense of gratitude. If God has given you another day, then that means that he loves you and he wants to do new things through you. And no matter what you've been through, maybe you're coming out of bankruptcy. Maybe you're coming out of divorce. Maybe you're coming out of the latest round of a struggle with depression. Maybe you're coming out of a a terrible scandal or failure. But whatever it is you're going through or coming out of, if you woke up this morning, start the day by saying, thank you, God. Thank you that you haven't given up. Thank you that you have given me another day, and I don't want to waste this day. Thanks for gracing me with that. The beginning point for this new thing that's happening in Jonah's life is verse 9 of chapter 2, where in the middle of the darkness, wallowing around in the belly of a fish in the sea, Jonah is crying out to God and saying, With shouts of grateful praise, I will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. And I will say, Salvation comes from the Lord. That is a man who is no longer bellyaching about his situation, but who is saying, Thank you, God. I thought I was doomed. I thought this was over. But I realize it's not, that you aren't finished. And so, God, I will thank you. With every breath I have left, I will thank you. I love the beginning of Psalm 92 where it says, It is good to say thank you to the Lord, to sing praises to the God who is above all gods. Every morning tell him thank you for your kindness, and every evening rejoice in all his faithfulness. Sing his praises. I just want to ask you, today's a day that we consider it the Lord's day. Have you paused yet today just to thank him? I mean, we sang today about his amazing grace and how because of what Christ has done, the chains are gone in our lives. The chains that had bound us to sin and all kinds of just destructive junk, we were doomed. And the grace of God has set us free. Have you just stopped today to thank him for that and to thank him for his love? Live each day with a deep sense of gratitude. And secondly, make my life mission my top priority. When God gives another chance... Don't be flipping about it. Don't just set it back on autopilot and go back to the way that you were living. No, determine, if God's given me another chance, I'm not going to keep on the way that I've been. I am going to get in line with what God has been telling me to do. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, 1, Do not let the grace that you have received from God be for nothing. That is a sobering thought, isn't it? God has extended grace to every one of us. There's nobody listening today that this isn't true of. God has extended more grace to us. Are we going to waste that? Or are we going to make some adjustments and make the most of that? Paul said, don't don't be flipping about this, the fact that God gave you another chance. And there's nobody who did a better job of living out that truth than Paul himself. 
I mean, think about Paul. This is the guy, you want to talk about getting off course. He was a deeply spiritual man when we first meet him. I mean, he was committed. He was just committed to the wrong things. He was a spiritual terrorist. He was one of these guys from the Middle East that scares us all to death. He hated everything to do with Christianity. He was doing his best to get people locked up and killed if they were Christians. So he's the kind of person that all of us hope, you know, gets blown up when they're making a bomb. That, that, that's the Christian attitude we have a lot of times. We just hope most people die. We don't have to deal with them. And yet God looks at those people and says, I love them as much as I love anyone. He looked at Paul and Saul at the time and said, oh, I have a plan for that life. I could do great things through that life. In Acts 20, 24, Paul speaking says this, I don't care about my own life. The most important thing is that I complete my mission, the work that the Lord Jesus gave me, to tell people the good news about God's grace. Paul got a second chance. And he spent the rest of his days chasing hard after that thing that God had called him to do. So in Jonah 3, the Lord spoke to Jonah again. Go to that great city, Nineveh. And he said, and warn them of their doom as I told you before. I love the patience of God. You know, we, we tend to look at God through the lens of somebody in our lives who was the sort of the leading parental type figure, our dad or our mom, or sometimes it was a, a grandparent or somebody that was that, that dominant figure when we were growing up. And we tend to imagine that God is most like that person. And sometimes that's accurate and sometimes it's far, far from the truth. But sometimes it's hard for us to believe that God just will continue to come back and trust us and love us and hand off to us the thing that he's been planning for so long because we're just so convinced, well, we've disappointed him. And he's like just a disappointed parent or an angry parent or a, or a parent who just pours on the guilt. No, God's still just honoring Jonah and saying, I've told you before and I'm telling you again, this is what I want to do. And I want to remind you again of what I told you two weeks ago. No matter what you've been through, no matter what you've done, God's call on your life still stands. Whatever your struggles, whatever your setbacks have been, remember what Paul said in Romans, the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. Is that not one of the most surprising things that you've ever heard in the Bible? Because it is to me. I mean, I've just seen enough people that I'm like, I'd take it back. I'd, I'd just take it back. The way they've handled it, I, I'd just say, you're done. Fired. I want to give that to somebody else. But the gifts and call of God are irrevocable. You may be financially broken, relationally broken, physically broken. doesn't change the fact that God's call on you still stands. The third thing we learn is that just the simple truth. Don't delay. Obey today. Don't say, okay, God, I, I get it. I get it. You're, you're telling me. I'm supposed to do this thing. And, and when I get done with school, I'm going to go to work on that. When I find a husband, when I find a wife, when I get a home, when we have a kid, we're going to get on with that. No. When God clarifies his call, it's time to begin working toward that. Now, now that doesn't mean that you're going to always immediately be able to do everything that God puts on your heart. Sometimes the call of God is so big 
that it's going to take years to step into that. But there's some steps that we can be taking right now to prepare ourselves and begin to move toward that. And we start that today. I love how in verse 3 it says, This time Jonah started off straight for Nineveh, obeying God's orders to the letter. I'm curious, what do you picture happened in the first 30 to 60 seconds after the fish spit Jonah out on the dry land there? I mean, what do you think that looked like? I mean, I'm sure he was a scary sight, but beyond his... His appearance. What do you think Jonah is doing in that first minute? It, it doesn't say. It's just left to our imagination. I mean, part of me has to picture, I have a feeling he's kind of on his hands and knees to begin with, probably kissing the ground that he thought he'd never see again, going, thank you, God, I didn't think I would ever see dry ground again. If you've never been in the in below deck on a ship in a turbulent sea, you may not can fully appreciate how grateful he was to be on dry ground, but you spend a few hours below deck and get thoroughly seasick, you can appreciate some of what he said. He has been in the dark doing this in, in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. So first of all, I imagine he's just going, thank you, God, I'm getting another chance. But I picture when he got back to his feet, he is going like a, the flash headed toward Nineveh. I don't think he is just sort of sauntering along. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he took off in a run headed in the direction of Nineveh. I am not going to screw it up this time. He had gone as hard as he could away from God, and this time he is obeying in the moment. You know, as parents, it's funny how much God teaches us about ourselves and just as we're having to raise our kids, how much we learn about God and and, and how life is. And that certainly was true in raising our kids. And Whitney, my oldest daughter, she has a wonderful heart. She has a great love for the Lord. But her nickname for pretty much her entire life has been Dawdling Dora. To this day, it is. When she was a child, she wasn't a rebellious child, but she was strong-willed. And whatever we would tell her to do, clean your room or, you know, go do whatever chore, it was going to get one of two responses. Either why or do I have to do it now? She, she loved to debate. She should have become an attorney because she loved to d d debate the why of something. You almost had to build a case. But... It wasn't that she wanted to refuse to do what you were saying. She just always wanted to delay. And so the mantra that we would always have to say back is, delayed obedience is disobedience. Because she would love to act like she was going to do it and then just kind of let a few hours pass. And then when you came back and said, why didn't you go clean your room? Like I said, oh, I forgot. I was going to do it later, but I never got around to it. What have we told you? Delayed obedience is disobedience. Well, I want to just remind us this morning. That isn't just true of eight-year-olds. As adults, when God is giving us direction and we say, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do that. I, I'm going to, Lord, I'm going to start doing that. But when I get to a better place financially, I'm going to start obeying you. I'm going to be giving. I'm going to, I'm going to go on that mission trip. I'm going to do that thing you call me to do when I get to a more comfortable place for me. Delayed obedience is disobedience. So don't delay. Obey today. So let me ask you this. Is there anything that God has shown you, told you, or put on your heart that you have hit the pause button? you got good intentions, but you really haven't done anything to move toward it. God's word for us today is don't delay, obey today. Fourth truth, accept my responsibility to warn others. And this is going to sound like maybe the most unusual or uncomfortable word of instruction from Jonah's story. But in verses 3 and 4, it says, 
of the city. It was so big that it took three days just to walk through it. But after walking for a day, Jonah warned the people, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. He's issuing a warning as he goes through talking to these people. Part of life for every single one of us and part of God's calling for every single one of us is to love others enough that we speak directly into their lives in a way that that lovingly warns them about the direction of their lives. And the interesting thing in Jonah's story that's true for us is Jonah wasn't probably really well positioned to do this the way that he needed to until he could speak from his own experience so that his warning came with a conviction of, I need to warn you about what you're doing in life and where that's going to lead because I too have made the terrible mistake of not heeding the voice of God and running with my life in the opposite direction of what God wanted me to do. And let me tell you how badly that worked out for me. And I'm warning you that if you too ignore the voice of God, it's going to work out really, really badly for you. Of all the things that we could talk about that we as Christians are supposed to do that we probably almost universally feel the worst about and most uncomfortable about, it is this, isn't it? Of all the subjects that we could teach on or preach on that we would be like, oh, yes, I agree with that. I'm all in favor of that. The one that we squirm the most about is the thought about talking openly to other people about our faith and about the need for each one of us to come to a place of personally trusting Christ, repenting and changing the direction of our lives and becoming followers of Jesus. That gets really uncomfortable for us, doesn't it? And yet the truth of the matter is, every one of us, this is a fundamental part of our calling. If we love people, we warn them. Not in a condescending way, not in a way that is designed to belittle them, but in a way that's really driven out of love and compassion for them. I mean, think of it this way. If you're walking along and you're able to see a bridge that is completely washed out, and there's just a terrible drop as a result of that, and you see somebody else, you see a friend that is speeding down the road in their automobile, and and you see they're going to come around the curve, and they're absolutely going to be destroyed because this bridge is out. Are you in any way being cruel or harsh toward them to step out in the road and to do everything you can to flag them down and say, hold on, there's something I really need to tell you. I need to warn you because I can see what's ahead for you. Nobody would think that's harsh. And yet, in reality, is it any different than that? Watching our loved ones, watching our friends, just speeding through life without regard for God or how they're living, And we know there's destruction ahead for them if they don't change direction. And yet so many times we feel like, well, all I'm supposed to do is just set an example. I want to tell you, we need to be reminded by God's call to Jonah. God calls every one of us to lovingly warn the people around us, if we really love them, to say, not in a way that makes them feel small, but in a way that really is rooted in our own experience, to say, because I love you. And because I've seen in my own life how much it makes a mess of things when I ignore God, when I don't follow the leading of God in my life, I want to talk to you about the direction of your life. I don't know about you, but when it comes to the people that I love the most, the ones that I'm most closely related to, 
those are some of the least enjoyable and honestly most painful conversations I ever have. Can you relate? Don't you hate having to do that at times, to look at somebody that you love and say, I love you too much to ignore what you're doing with your life? A warning is actually a good thing. It's part of our calling that we warn others, but it's also a part of our experience that we need to heed the warnings of others. Oh, that's no fun, is it? Don't you just hate that when somebody loves you enough to step in and say, have you really thought about what you're doing here? Because I really think you need to take a hard look at this area of your life. We really need to be willing to heed warnings and to give warnings. And this is a part of what it means to belong to the family of faith, that we love each other enough that we would speak truth, that we would receive truth, and that we care enough with those we're in community with around outside the church that we would speak words of warning to them. Paul lived this out in Acts twenty thirty one. He says, Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Do you know that the New Testament has more than 100 verses or stories that are about warning others about how they're living their lives? Doing exactly what Paul is saying here. And he said, when I warned you again and again and again, I did it through tears. That's a picture of how you do this. When your heart is broken for somebody to the point that you've wept over them, you're in a great position now to talk to them about what's happening in their lives. You don't have to worry so much at that point that it's going to sound like judgment or condescension. When God gives you or me a warning, we tend to think of that as a negative thing, and the truth of the matter is it's a very hopeful thing because God only gives warnings where he's wanting to give a second chance. You ever think about that? If he didn't want to give another chance, if he didn't want to give grace, he wouldn't issue the warning. He'd just come through like a wrecking ball and just wipe that person out. If God gives you a warning, that is such an encouraging and hopeful sign. It is God saying, because I love you and I haven't given up on you, I'm warning you and directing you about a change that you need to make. I mean, have you ever thought about what a wonderful thing a warning can be? Have you ever been pulled over by a state trooper and heard the words, Today, I'm just going to give you a warning. I mean, don't you want to kiss the man at that point? Are those not some of the best words you've ever heard in your life in that moment when you're just like your heart's in your, in your drawers at that point going, oh, my goodness, how much is this going to cost me? And then you hear, I'm going to give you a warning. It means there's a second chance. When we warn others, it's a hopeful message that the truth of the matter is God loves you. He's got a plan. And no matter how far off course your life may have gotten, he wants to give you a second chance. You know, one of the great ironies of my life is we live on a golf course. Jackie and I live in Rock Creek, and we live right on the golf course. And I never have wished for that. Now that I've done it for six years, I really don't wish for that. I appreciate where I live, but I'm not a golfer. And I get sick of golf balls landing in my backyard. I'm afraid one's going to land on my noggin one day. I'm not crazy about that. But it's ironic we live on a golf course because I'm so terrible at golf. And I've learned to kind of hate golf because I like doing things that I'm good at, and I really stink at golf. But the one thing about golf that I love is this, the idea of the mulligan. Now, for those of you who haven't ever played golf, I know that you don't get a mulligan when you're playing real serious golf. But when you're out with just friends, with people who just love you and who've got some grace for you, what a mulligan is all about is when you step up to tee off, 
and you know exactly where you want to go down the fairway, and you rear back, and you swing through, and instead of going where you need to go, you slice way in one direction or the other, and you land deep in the woods instead of right in the middle of the fairway. And, and you're thinking, how in the world am I ever going to play my way out of that? And instead of your friends sending you to the woods to try and search for your ball, they look at you and say, we're going to give you a mulligan on that. You just get to tee up a fresh ball and take a whole fresh new swing, and we won't even count that one against you. That's grace. That's a second chance. When we warn people, the good news of the warning is God loves you and wants to give you a mulligan. He wants to give you a fresh start to tee off. That brings us to the fifth and final truth, and that is when God gives you a fresh opportunity, a second chance. Expect God to show up and do his part. The truth of the matter is, a lot of times we fail to connect with following through on the thing that God has called us to because some part of the equation is that it seemed bigger than us. It seemed beyond us. And it was a lack of faith or fear that was a part of the deal that we never embraced what God was calling us to do. I'm not going to ask you for a show of hands, but have you ever been at that place where God put something on your heart and you're like, oh, that would be really great. But then you had time to think about it and it's like, I couldn't do that. That would scare the bejeebers out of me to try and do that. And so we just imagined that it was all about us and our abilities and we didn't get there. And so this whole idea of embracing a second chance at fulfilling God's mission for our lives can't get wrapped around whether we could do it. If you're going to embrace this, you have to embrace the idea that God's going to do his part. You and I are just responsible to do our part, which oftentimes is the far, far smaller piece. I mean, think about it. Jonah, he's a nobody. He's a, a, a little Jew from a little village in Israel, and nobody knows him. And he's going to go to the heart of the most powerful kingdom on earth, to the biggest city where nobody knows him. And if he lets them know who he is, they're going to hate him. And he's supposed to bring revival to 120,000 people in this city and beyond. Okay, can you agree? That's impossible. One man cannot do that. Would you agree with that? He can't do that. The only way this happens is if Jonah just agrees to do his little part and he trusts God to do his vast part. I think when we read the scriptures many times we imagine the characters of the Bible as if they were spiritual superheroes and those don't exist. Outside of Jesus, the only people that we find in the Bible are just ordinary folks like you and me who were faithful to do their little part. And because of that, God showed up and just did incredible God-sized things through them. So what's going on in this story that we read today? Historically and from a kingdom perspective, what is happening? I'll tell you what's happening. God is bringing revival that is going to spare an entire generation Actually, two or three generations of people. I mean, when you read the story, does it not read almost as an impossible thing? Maybe we need to just step back with fresh eyes and reconsider what we just read. These people are the equivalent of the Nazi regime. This is ISIS. This is the Taliban. These people, in one respect, are the most advanced and, and powerful. And yet, if you look at how they were living, they were barbaric. They were savages to the people that they had conquered. These were people that you don't even want to think about what they were doing. And yet, God looked at them and said, 
I have so much more in mind. I love them. I care about them. I want to see them changed and turned into my sons and daughters. And I'm going to send Jonah to do that. I'm going to raise up one man to usher this in. And as impossible as it looks, God has done things that on the surface seem could never come together. And as we consider in the next couple of minutes what God actually did, I think it brings us great hope about what's happening today. Let's look again at the passage that we just read. But I want to read the key verses from the message, beginning in verse 5. This is in your outline if you want to follow along. The people of Nineveh, I want you to just notice sort of the different pieces of their turn, the key things that they did. And I want you to consider what would happen if these things took place in major cities in the U.S. or around the world. The people of Nineveh listened and trusted God. They proclaimed a citywide fast, and they dressed in burlap to show their repentance. Everyone did it, rich and poor, famous and obscure, leaders and followers. And when the message reached the king of Nineveh, he got up off his throne, he threw down his royal robes, dressed in burlap, and he sat down in the dirt. And then he issued a public proclamation, not one drop of water, not one bite of food for man, woman, or animal. Send up a cry for help to God. He's calling on the people to pray. Everyone must turn around and turn back from an evil life and the violent ways that stain their hands. Who knows? Maybe God will turn around and change his mind about us, quit being angry with us, and let us live. God saw what they had done, that they had turned away from their evil lives, and he did change his mind about them. And what he said he would do to them, he didn't do. How could this happen? I mean, let's just be honest. Don't... don't give a Sunday school answer, when you just read the story, isn't there a part of you that goes, that can't happen? This one guy, this one foreigner shows up and he preaches a message and that ain't much of a message. I mean, it's not a great sermon. And can you just imagine how bad it sounded? Jonah's heart has not changed toward the people. His heart has changed toward God, but he still despises these people. And lest you think I'm exaggerating that, Brad will cover this next week. Jonah in the first two verses of chapter 4 is ticked off. Because the people repented, turned to God, and God showed them mercy. And he's like, see, there you go. That's what I was afraid would happen. They turned to God. God would actually love them and show them mercy. I hate these people. So you can only imagine how much compassion he had in his message. I mean, there was probably some joy in saying, 40 days and you're going to burn. 40 days and the hand of God is going to bring judgment on you. And I'm sure it kind of blew his mind when the people were going, then we need to make things right. We need to turn to God. We need to repent. How do we do this? Help us, Jonah. Jonah's going, good grief. That's what I was afraid was going to happen. They'd listen. How could that possibly happen? Can I tell you a big part of it? What Jonah couldn't see and didn't know was that God had for the last several years been actively at work in very clear ways preparing the hearts of all of the inhabitants of Nineveh and beyond. Jonah shows up in somewhere around 760 B.C. Just hold that date in mind, around 760. I want you to consider what had been going on in the five years leading up to, five years and beyond leading up to 760. First of all, Assyria, the most powerful kingdom on earth, and it had been for many decades, but for the first time, they're beginning to fight some battles that they're losing. The Medes and the Persians coming from what is today Iran and Iraq 
have been attacking them, and for the first time in a long time, they're actually losing some of these battles. And that's now leading to unrest at home, and they're actually having to deal with a lot of riots in the streets of Nineveh. Ooh, that sounds a little bit familiar. In 765, remember we're marching towards 760. In 765, a terrible famine set in in Nineveh, and it lasted for several years. Devastating effect. In 763, on June the 15th, There was a full eclipse of the sun in the middle of the day. Everything got dark. And in ancient times, you know, full eclipses like that are really rare. In ancient times, a full eclipse of the sun meant imminent doom. The people are freaked out. The sun has been darkened. Something terrible is coming. A year later, in 762, there was a terrible earthquake in Nineveh. Nineveh sat on the banks of the Tigris River, and it sits right on top of a great fault that's still there in the earth today. 762, a huge earthquake hits the city. 761, the Tigris River floods and floods the entire city of Nineveh. So in 760, when Jonah shows up, we've been fighting wars and we're losing the battles. There's rioting in the streets. There's a famine that's still going on. The city has been flooded. We've been rocked by an earthquake. The sky has been darkened in the middle of the day. There's some kind of doom. The gods are trying to tell us something. What is it that the gods are saying to us? And here's this little foreigner who walks into town and says, Thus saith the Lord God, in 40 days destruction comes on this city. Now here's the good news. God doesn't issue a warning unless there's hope. That's what it's all about. God wasn't wanting to destroy Nineveh. God was wanting to save Nineveh. God was wanting to usher in a great revival. And do you know what happened? A revival swept through that entire city. It swept through the heart of Assyria. And an entire generation was saved. A kingdom that was about to go down the drain, it was about to be destroyed, comes to faith in God. And Nineveh is spared for another 140 years. It's not until 621 that the Medes and Persians come in and sack Nineveh. Generations are saved because one little man comes in and preaches a word of warning from the Lord. And the people listen to God. They put their trust in God. They call for a fast. And in unison, they cry out to God to have mercy. And they change how they're living their lives. And revival is ushered in. And a generation is spared. Friends, we're living in a season right now that has people so confused and chaotic. People are going crazy, posting everything on Facebook all the time, trying to make sense out of it, posting all kinds of crazy explanations and conspiracy theories about what's going on and how this is gloom and doom and Christians right and left are saying, it's got to be the end of the world. Jesus has got to be coming back. I know it's got to be any day now. It's, oh, it's all over. You know, Jesus may come back tomorrow, but I want to tell you, I kind of hope he doesn't. I hope that I read the situation correctly, that what's happening right now, As we're watching rioting in the streets and all kinds of unrest and all of the chaos that comes from a pandemic. And and literally, I mean, I told Jackie months ago, I said, with everything that's happening, fully expect 
that when hurricane season comes, we're going to see crazy stuff. We're going to see things we hadn't seen in a long time. And here we are. They're saying, you know, this hasn't happened since 1933. Here we've got two storms barreling into the Gulf. Don't be surprised by the additional things that are coming on. And don't be afraid. Don't read all of these things that are creating adversity as a sign that, oh, God hates us. God's out to get us. I'll tell you what I think is going on. I think God is doing the kinds of things that he's done again and again in history. God recognizes that blessing, comfort, and prosperity never leads to revival. I challenge you to find anywhere in the history of the world that that has ever led to revival because it hasn't. Yet seasons of difficulty, seasons of peril, seasons of desperation, those are the times when people actually finally have a chance to to get on their faces And begin to cry out to God and have their hearts truly turn to God in desperation and say, Oh God, I think we've been wrong. I think there are some things that we need to change. And above everything, we just want to look to you and ask you to be the center of our lives. What would happen today if the people of Chicago, if the people of Portland, if the people of San Francisco... If the people of Baltimore, if the people of New Orleans, if the people of Mobile, if the people of Baldwin County truly repented, turned to God in earnest, didn't wait to see what's going to happen next. What would happen if the people today of London, the people of Sydney, the people of Buenos Aires, the people of Bangkok, the people of Beijing, what would happen if today someone under God's leadership spoke a word of warning And the people cried out in repentance and changed their ways. It's hard for us to imagine how quickly revival could sweep in and change a city and change a nation. We are a people who have become so obsessed with elections and political stories. And our hope rises or falls based on whether we elect this candidate or we elect that candidate. And I want to tell you, revival has never hinged on who gets elected. Jonah did not come in with a message that said, okay, first of all, we've got to remove the king and we've got to get a Republican king or we've got to get a Democratic king. That'll be the first step. And then the next step is we're going to get the the Supreme Court of Nineveh that's going to be this kind of Supreme Court. It had nothing to do with that. It was a message to the people great and small. Repent. Turn to God. It wasn't a message to go post a new thing on Facebook. It was you stop what you're doing and realize that if you don't change your ways, destruction is coming. God loves you. He loves you enough. He's sending you a warning. Something has to change. I think God is lovingly warning us today. Not because he's mad and he's out to get us. I think God is lovingly snapping his fingers and saying, do I have your attention yet? How loud am I going to have to do this to get your attention to hear the message that I love you? I want to give you another chance. I made you for a far greater purpose than what you're living for today. I didn't just make you to take up space and breathe air and earn a living, work a job, pay for a house, and fund your retirement. You were made for so much more. Have you considered lately what God made you for? And are you living above everything for God's purposes If you're here today, if you're watching and listening today, he's given you another chance. Would you embrace that? Would you join me as we turn to him together in prayer right now? God, you are so good. 
You're so kind. You're faithful. You're merciful toward us. And we thank you for that. Thank you that you are a father who gives second and third chances, that you, you extend grace and we don't deserve it, and yet you give it. Thank you. Lord, you honor us by placing a call in our lives, and we want to be faithful to that. Lord, I pray for those today who are at that place of just needing to make an initial response to your call on their lives to be followers of Jesus. I pray that some of the circumstances maybe that have caused pain and confusion, I pray that we could let go of all the questions that maybe we have about that and just recognize that through all of those things, you've been lovingly working to get our attention and to remind us that you love us and I pray that you give away gifts of faith today if today you need for the very first time in your life to place your trust in Jesus as your savior as the one who by his death and resurrection provide a way for your sins to be forgiven and you to be made right with God why don't you just pray in your heart asking God's forgiveness and trusting your life to his care why don't you say Jesus I need you need you in my life I need your forgiveness I'm asking you to give me a fresh start and a clean slate a second chance best I know how I'm giving you control of my life help me to live for you I promise you this if you prayed that in simple faith he heard and he answered Some of us have been followers of Jesus for a long time, but we sure do need to open ourselves up to what God is saying and doing and what he's calling us to. God is at work right now in his church and in this country, and he wants us to be actively a part of that. And if you don't really see how you're connected to that, why don't you just in a fresh way say, God, I don't know what that means. I don't know what your call and mission are for me, but I want to say yes to that. I want to open my heart and my mind to that. I tell you, I want to be obedient. So would you show me, would you lead me, and would you give me a fresh start with you? Or by the voice of your Spirit, would you speak fresh ways into our lives? Show us what the next phase is that you have for us. As a church, show us what our role is, what you have next for us. Here in the U.S., in Nigeria, and beyond. Thank you for your call and your love, and we offer ourselves to you again. We say thank you for your grace. We pray it in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen.